You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hi, uh, my name is Liz again. I've been attending Free City for almost four years, I think. Yeah, four years. Um, <laughs> I'm in the Spurtley Somerville City Group. Um, if you're not in a city group, highly encourage you to join. You can join ours. It's on Tuesdays. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so today's reading is going to be coming from Ecclesiastes. Um, we're doing 11.1 until 12.14. And so that's going to be, I believe, on page 523 in the Bibles that are underneath your seats. Alrighty, so Ecclesiastes 11.1 to 12.14 says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way of the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let the heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that all these things God's will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart, and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, in the years drawn near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed at collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, you are good, and you do good things, and you make goodness out of our brokenness, and so I thank you for that, God. Um, God, I thank you for the opportunity um, to read Ecclesiastes together as a body. Um, Jesus, what a blessing to be able to dive into that scripture together um, as we work through both good and hard times um, as a community. So I praise you for that. I just ask that um, the message of this scripture would transfer very smoothly through Casey, God, that, um, that it would transfer to our ears, that we would be attent and listening, God, um, that we would be willing to hear each other. Um, as we go through this scripture, that we'd be, be willing to hear Casey um, and that we would support each other as we wrap up Ecclesiastes. Um, God, I thank you for the space that we are given in which to worship and read scripture together and gather in community. I thank you for Liberty Central Memorial and for all the people that have made it possible for us to be here. Um, God, I just pray that you have your hand over these children that walk through these doors every day um, as they enter summer, God. Would you just be walking with them? Would you be comforting them, protecting them, um, cl 
clothing them in your compassion and in your grace? Um, and would you be doing the same for the teachers and administrators and janitors and every um, person that walks through this building, whether it be to learn or to provide a service? Um, God, I thank you that they allow us to have this space. Um, would your Holy Spirit dwell with them as well? Um, God, yeah, we thank you um, for everyone in this room. We thank you for um, the body of our church, and I bless this scripture in your holy name, amen. Well, good morning. My name's Casey, and uh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, man, I actually, uh, I was just thinking about this this morning uh, when I got up really, really early uh, to look over my notes. Uh, I, I, I love coming on Sundays, uh, even like when it's uh, summertime and we're in between holidays. Man, I feel like, man, this is family. Um, and, uh, you know, when it's lower, it makes, it encourages me just because uh, there's less witnesses to dumb things I say. Um, and, and actually, last couple of weeks, uh, some of my, some of y'all have been giving me hard times about my hand motions. Um, and so I just, uh, yeah, some of you are doing it right now. I just, I want you to know, like, they, they, they communicate. And so when I do this, uh, and I mean, I, I, I hope I don't do this like interpersonally, this means this is for all of us. You need to listen. And then sometimes, you know, when I do this, like I kind of do this, this means you need to wrestle with it. Um, I never do this anywhere but behind this, uh, this, this music stand. But like you need to wrestle with it. When I do something like this, um, I, sometimes I point up, point down. Like I think I'm saying, hey, this is from God. You better listen up. When I do double points, it's like, you need to read this. Um, and I, I, think, I think that's mostly what I do. But now, now you know. And so if you're not looking down and you see one of those, you need to be like, oh, okay, that's for me. Um, but we, uh, we're, we're kind of toward, we're toward the end. We have one more week that we're going to look at Ecclesiastes. And next week we're just doing an overview and then uh, we're going to open up for uh, a share service. A lot of times at the end of a book series, man, we'll open up for a share service. And that's when we want to hear uh, from you. And so what we want is we want you to pray and think about man, a concise uh, thing of how Ecclesiastes, how God has used Ecclesiastes uh, to highlight something in your life, whether it's bring conviction or encouragement. And so right now, if you're thinking, oh, that'd be cool. I, I hope someone else shares. I want you to share. Um, like, it's always awkward. It's like my city group, but just on a bigger scale. And so every week we come together, we eat. Uh, we start late in my city group also. And we uh, get there, and I'll read the scriptures. I'll go through the, the questions. I'll be like, hey, what does this text say? You know, what does it tell us about God, Jesus, sin, the world, you? You know, what does it tell us about those things? Are there any questions you have? Is there anything you like or don't like? And then it's like, what kind of application will we go? And so I, I go through all those questions, and then we just do one question. What does this text say? And everyone just stares at me for about 30 seconds every week. And then I make a joke. I'm like, hey, someone's got to go first. And there's kind of this little chuckle. And then they stare at me for another like 15, 20 seconds. And then someone says, man, like look at verse blah, blah, blah. Man, it makes me think this. And then everybody shares and so this is, the, the scriptures talk about testimony, giving testimony. I think one of the most powerful things we've done, I mean, God's really, really blessed us uh, with several baptism services just this last semester. I mean, just celebrating in the story of what God has done in people's lives. There's a continued story. It's not like a one done thing. It's a continued story of God shaping your life through the work of the Holy Spirit that was able to come to you because of the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross to embody and grow, to make you a disciple of his that you might bear witness of the goodness of God. Like you, that, like you see this? That was wrestle with that. That was, you gotta wrestle with that. This is an opportunity uh, that you can just say, gosh, man, Solomon has just been such a sad sack this whole time, but it seems like I wrestle with the same things that I think more will fix my life. You know, just something like that. And so right now, like, I just want you to really pray about coming to share something. And then I want you to also pray, like, uh, that it would be concise. If, like, right now you're thinking, yes, finally my ideals will be shared. Um, you need to write that down. It needs to be, like, a short paragraph. Um, but it blesses the body. It blesses the body. I actually think one of the most powerful things we do is when we have baptism testimonies and they read their testimony. They don't ad-lib it. They read it. We help them. They read it. 
And it's clear, and people say, man, if God did that for them, would he do that for me? Would he do that for me? Those are the kind of prayers I think God loves to inhabit. And so we're gonna encourage you to, to come and share something. And if right now you're like, man, I am scared to death. What if I say something dumb? If you come here every week, that shouldn't scare you one bit. Uh, man, God loves it when we testify just to things that he's doing in our lives. Um, so here, here we go. This is usually where I would do uh, an introduction uh, to the sermon, you know, where I give like uh, some sort of question or some sort of hook, you know, that kind of builds tension into the text. And, and the goal of that is to get you to think like, man, I felt that. And it gets you to like lean forward just a little bit, say, man, I wonder what else this is going to say. Or sometimes if we have trouble getting there, like we'll tell some sort of a kind of just silly story or something, just to do this, that you might say, well, that was kind of fun. Like, I don't hate him. Maybe I'll listen to him. And that's the whole goal. But this is what we have Solomon doing. Solomon is saying, you are going to die. Like, he actually goes on this really long rant that's very allegorical to describe what happens if you die slowly, like all the things that you lose, the faculties that you lose, and then he kind of throws at the end that if you get hit or your back breaks or your heart is pierced, like, you're going to die too. So you're going to die slowly or you're going to die quickly. And he brings that right at the end and he says, judgment is looming. And then he says what he's been saying over and over. Like over and over, he's been saying life is like a mist. It's like smoke. It's like vapor. There's things that feel like it has a solid you know, grasp and things that you can grab a hold of. But when you go for it, it moves. It goes between your fingers. And so he brings us to the end of the wrestle. What if all of life transpires and moves quickly like vapor? And then he says, and judgment is looming. Like he's moved from like, is there anything beyond the sun? Anything after the sun? Is there anything that we can count on that we can't touch in this life? Is there anything that's real, that governs all things? Or should we just live for whatever we can get? Like all the rap songs, I gotta get mine, you gotta get yours. We're just gonna see who kind of does it. Like all of those things, like is that how we should live? But if there is something beyond the sun, if there is something above the sun, something that governs all things. He comes to the end, and this is old Solomon, and he says this, surely there's a God. Surely he will judge. Death is coming. And so we, we, in Ecclesiastes 11 and 12, we really just have, have two points that we're gonna make. First, he's gonna go on, in verses really one through eight, eight A, he's gonna say this, life is, is uncertain, and then you get a half a verse that says life is great, enjoy it, and then the back half of eight, he goes, but you're gonna die. And I'm gonna describe it all to you. And so it's gonna say this, life is uncertain and death is guaranteed. And so let's take a look at this first point. Life is uncertain. He's gonna say it is risky. There is a ton of uncertainty. It is mysterious that only God knows, only God can see all. And then he says, but God and life are good. And so risky, uncertainty, mysterious, good, and we can't know all that God is doing. And so the very first, verse one, it says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. And so the picture is Solomon goes and he, he goes to feed the ducks. He takes the old bread and he goes and he's casting it out on the waters. And he's saying, if you throw it to the middle of the lake, if the ducks don't eat it first, over time it will move back to the edge where you can get it. Now I was just kind of thinking, sometimes when I just have a mental picture of something uh, in the text, I'll just kind of just Google it, just kind of see what comes up. And so I just Googled feeding ducks. Did you know that feeding bread to ducks is really controversial. Like people get really upset about it. Like the, it seems like they're like, hey, bread is bad for them. I don't know if they're gluten intolerant. Uh, but this, the thing that keeps getting cited is bread is bad because they couldn't get it in the wild. Ducks don't bake bread. And that is altogether unconvincing to me. Like, I, I, you know, it makes me, I, this is what I know. 
ducks love bread. Ducks will eat other ducks to get to bread. And I mean, that, maybe it's cracked to them. I don't know. And so maybe that supports it. But I want to feed them donuts and coffee and see what happens. I mean, my kids cannot get donuts in the wild, but they love them. My dog, he thinks he could hunt for chickens and he thinks he could hunt for cows. He has only caught, like, he, he caught a bird in his mouth in Colorado. Literally, it was flying and he jumped up and snagged it out of the air. And like, 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 like kids or anyone else, the first thing he did was he looked to us like, did you see that? Did you see what I just did? And then Liv yells at him and takes it away. It was like his highest moment and then his worst moment. I'm not convinced he would survive. Like, I actually argued with my kids about this. Like, oh, no, man, he killed a possum. I'm like, you can't eat a possum. It'll kill you. You know, he, he, you know all the different things. But, like, what we see Solomon is he goes and he's, he goes to feed the ducks. And it's saying this, like, just like if you throw bread out into the middle of a lake, if the ducks of life don't come steal it away, it has a way of coming back to you. Now, a lot of people apply this to generosity, like, man, if you just live open-handedly and you give generously as the Lord leads in need, that it always has a way of God coming back and taking care of you. But, and that, that, that is true. But I think this has more to do with just the uncertainty of investment as you think through life, as you toil and try to do. Nothing is 100% certain. There is risk in investment. When you invest, sometimes the duck of life, ducks of life might eat it, but a good investment usually makes its way back to you. And this fits the next verse. Look at verse two. In verse two, it says, give a portion to seven or to eight, for you know what, for you do not know what disaster may happen on the earth. And so he says, diversify your, your investments. He's like, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Like, take your investment and break it up to seven or break it up to eight. Because sometimes drought comes. Sometimes storms happen. And what he's going to say specifically is sometimes the rain clouds don't rain. And sometimes the tree falls. And where it falls, it lays. He says, there's uncertainty in life. You know, he's saying, listen, you need to time the market, you know, or I'm sorry, time in the market, not as much timing the market. And that's not like, I, I don't know, I'm not an investment. I, we, we've got an investment uh, guy and he just tells us what to do. But like, he's saying like, life is risky. And so you need to diversify because you don't know what's going to happen. And then he goes on and in verse three, he's going to tell us, you need to get insurance. Like, look at verse three. It says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth, but it's implying, but you don't know where. And then it goes on. It says, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. And so what he's saying is when it comes to rain, when the sky says it is going to rain, it probably will rain, but you don't know where. Or it's saying, you know, when, when, when trees fall, they don't warn us. They stand until they can stand no longer. And then when they fall, they stay until you move them. And whatever is in its way is going to be crushed. Whatever in its way is going to be crushed. So if the tree falls and it hits your car, or the tree falls and it hits your house, like you're going to call an insurance adjuster, and he's going to come out, and if you have insurance, he took the odds on what would happen if a tree actually fell on something, and that's why you were paying every month or quarterly, and he's going to adjust it, and there's a payout. And so he's saying, listen, life is so uncertain. Life is so uncertain. Sometimes you can see the warning signs and you see the tree and it looks like something's wrong with it and you don't know because you're not like a tree scientist, whatever that is, and then you get someone to come out and they're like, something's really wrong with it. Life is uncertain. Verse four, he continues, he says, he who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap and he says, life is uncertain, but you need to stop making excuses. And, and so the picture is someone who needs to, to sow seed. They need to plant seed, but they go out and they say, man, it's just too windy. I mean, I don't know if we should do it. Like, I better play it safe and go inside and play Xbox all day. Stop making excuses. 
It's never going to be perfect. There's never going to be the perfect time to act. Or then the other picture is that if, you know, look at the sky and say, man, it might rain. Man, we can't harvest today. We'll just watch for a better day and we can go in and just watch Netflix all day. There's not going to be a perfect day to act. Stop making excuses because we are subject to so much. We're subject to so much. Solomon is saying, stop making excuses and do what needs to be done. And the question for us, I mean, it might be a planting question, but the, the question for us is what needs to be done? Like what needs to be done? Like where do you need to invest? Are there, is there a relationship you need to invest in? And let me tell you, like when you test the weather to invest in a relationship that might be hurt a little bit, it's always gonna feel a little too windy. It's always gonna feel a little too stormy to be vulnerable and press in. There's always gonna be an excuse to say, oh man, maybe later. Or do you need to invite someone into a sin struggle that you've been hiding. Like there is literally, literally there is never the right time for that. Like it's never gonna feel like, man, I need to get someone in because the scriptures tell me to confess my sins one to another because sin is cancer inside your body. It will not just stop. It wants to take all, it wants to reprogram. And what we looked at last week, turn life upside down. Like it's not just gonna stop. And the Bible gives us this thing, confess your sins one another that you might be healed. Like it kind of has this, like just bring it to people who will pray for you, who love you, who will confront you, but there's never a good time to do that. It is always easier to get tacos than to say, let me tell you about the sin struggle that I'm hiding from everyone, but I'm afraid. Over and over, God has pressed it in my heart that it's not gonna stop and it might destroy me. Like, this was several weeks ago, but we made that, like, let's get tacos. That's code. Like, with your city group, like, hey, we need to get some tacos. They're going to be like, what did you do? You know, I mean, like, there's never going to be a great time to do that. There's always going to be an excuse. And it says, listen, life is full of risk. In life, trees fall unannounced. In life, you will always have to push forward on less than perfect, cloudy days. There is risk, but excuses will kill you. And so it tells us, man, what do we need to sow into? What do we need to invest? What do we need to walk out into, even though it's less than perfect? And then verse five, Solomon says, you can't possibly know all that God's doing. There's so much that we don't know. And so he paints this timely picture for us. He says, as you do not know the way, the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. And so I just, with, with all you know, leaked documents and, and Roe versus Wade, we're asking all these kind of different questions of what the country's gonna be like. I just wanna bring some words out. When we talk about life and the unborn and abortion and women in crisis, when we talk about all that stuff, I just wanna point out like four words. First, like we see here, womb. Like, so it's very directing of when he's talking about the mystery of God bringing life. And then we see, see woman, like it's not obscure from like women are a part of this. Like women we need to care for. And then it says child. A child in a woman's womb. And then it says spirit or soul. And so taking these words together, it's clarifying some mystery for us of how we need to deal with this. Like what do we do? What's the moral obligation for women in crisis with a child with a soul residing in their body? And so Solomon's pointing to mystery. We don't know how all that happens. But actually, like, with, with, with the science that we have, we still don't know how, like, how does, I mean, we can see life creating. Like, you can see that on a microscope, like, the moment that that happens and cells start to just, you know, multiply and multiply and the DNA code is set. Like, it's there already. Like, we see it on a microscope. But like we don't know how that person's gonna have a personality and a soul. Like they're gonna be different from other people. Like we don't know all about that. Solomon's evoking mystery. Like we look and we see somewhat of like certainty that both God and both science would say, yeah, we see life there. 
but we couldn't possibly know all that God plans. Like this mystery how, but not a mystery of what. A woman, a child, a soul. And then he goes on from mystery. He says this in verse 5. So you do not know the works of God who makes everything. And he just says, listen, the clouds might look like rain. The, the, the tree might be unsettled and the tree might fall. But you don't know how God's going to work all of those things out. And so he's saying we need to act while we can act. You don't know all that God is doing. Sometimes the tree falls and we don't know all that God is doing with that. Sometimes the clouds storm and we don't know all that God is doing with that. Sometimes the wind howls and we don't know all that God is doing with that. He's saying life is risky, it is unpredictable, and excuses will always present themselves, but you need to act. And that's exactly what he says in verse six. In the morning sow your seed, And at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. And so he's saying, life is unpredictable, so sow seed in the morning, sow seed in the evening. Keep investing, because you don't know what's going to work, you don't know what's going to grow, you don't know what God might do with all of it. He says, this time that you have, act. Like, read, we want you to read the Bible. We, we say it all the time. We have a Bible reading plan, and we want you to read the Bible. And there's a part of reading the Bible where it's questioning, what is this saying? There's also just a part of reading the Bible of like, man, it seems to be saying this, I should do it. Like, do it. Apply it. And then we get this, 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 this really pleasant moment. Look, look at verse 7. 7 to 8 says, Light is sweet and pleasant for the eyes to see the sun So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Psalm says, I know there's hard things. I know there's broken things and broken promises, but there's also so many joys. Enjoy them. Name them. Thank God for them. Like when you see the sun setting and the sky blows up and all kinds of pinks and oranges and reds, like it should cause us to look at it, name the beauty of it, and then wonder about a beautiful God that gives that almost every single night. When you eat good food, and like your taste buds explode and you start to want to like to name the different flavors. Like name a creative God who does so many things for the enjoyment of a person. When you embrace a loved one, slow down. Embrace them. And just talk about a God that embraces you. Like it says, listen, there are so many sweet and pleasant things that happen in life. Rejoice in them all. When you laugh, wonder what that might point to. Solomon tells us that life is uncertainty, that there is risk and unpredictability in everything. And there will always be excuses not to act. And then he ends this section, but there is joy. And we can't fully know all that God is doing in both the unpredictableness, the hard, dark days, and the moments of expressed joy. And so we get like this verse and a half of, man, so many great things. And then look at verse eight. It says, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. Like, I mean, it's just like, life's sweet, but you're going to die. And now I'm going to explain it to you. And so he says, death is guaranteed. Death is coming. It will come slowly or it will come suddenly, but it is certainly coming. And so verse 9, he says, Rejoice, O man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you. In the days of your youth, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. 
And so this says like rejoice, like these phrases, rejoice, let your heart cheer you, walk in, are all saying like present tense, do it now, don't waste your life with wishing the next step, the next stage, enter in where you are. Like this needs to be heard and followed. Don't just think about, man, I hope this thing is gonna happen or I wanna be this kind of man or this kind of woman or this kind of husband or this kind of wife or this kind of community member. I want to be that kind of neighbor. He says, start doing it. Don't set up to live with the regrets of I wish I would have done something different. It says, rejoice now. Let your heart cheer you. Walk in. And then it goes on. It says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And so he's not saying like, live it up, take everything you can. He says, enjoy all that God gives. Find deep, deep pleasure in it, but know that there is a judgment that is coming. And then look, look at verse 10. Like, like, look at verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Or we should hear that are wisping away. Like, 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 let's start with this two phrases, the vexation and put away pain. Let's do the second one first. Put away pain from your body. He's just saying as you get older, like injuries are more, much, much more serious. Like as you get older, your cells don't multiply as fast as they used to. Like when you are young and your body is elastic and like your cells just multiply and so you just grow and grow and grow, there is coming a day when your cells will not multiply at the same rate and like when it, you have an injury, your body's like, yeah, we'll get to that later. We got other things we've got to do and you need to start thinking about some things differently. We, uh, I, I think about snow skiing way, way differently now. When I, my, my kids, they're like, hey, dad, you want to hit some gnarly jumps with us? I'm like, no, man, because I don't want gnarly knees. I don't want it. I want to walk you down the aisle one day, perhaps. I mean, I, I, I start to think about it differently. Like he's saying, listen, if there's something in your body that's pain, get it checked out. Try to remove it because it gets more and more serious. You know, when you're, uh, when you're a kid, you know, you fall like, a hundred times a day, and it's just, oh, that kid fell. But when you're like a grandparent, falling is an event. Grandma had a fall. Like, I remember hearing that on the phone. Like, my mom was on the phone. She's like, oh, man, Grandma had a fall. And I'm like, what's a big deal? I feel like 10 times coming down the stairs. It's a big deal. So he says, put away pain from your body as you get older. Go, listen, I need, this advice. I need this advice too. Go to the doctor. Go, go to the doctor, get a physical. There can be things happening that you don't know about no matter what you Googled. And if, actually, if you have pain, do not Google it. Just go to the doctor. Don't Google it because it's going to say it's cancer. Don't, do, don't Google it. <laughs> Put away pain from your body. Second, remove vexation from your heart. Listen to me. Deal with your sin today because it will become a monster tomorrow. The sin that troubles you today, fight it today because it has a way of growing and growing and taking all. Like uncontested sin grows all the time. It doesn't just get dormant and like fall away. Sin doesn't get bored with you. Like it's not like the bear, you know, like I don't, I still don't know what to do if, if I come across a bear. They say don't climb a tree. I feel like I'm climbing a tree. Even though I saw a bear in Colorado climb a tree, it did it with exceptional speed and ease. I still feel like that's my best chance. I still feel like I need to run, even though like, they're like, that's just gonna encourage it. Like they say, just stay still and hope it gets bored. That seems really risky to me. It doesn't work with sin. The scriptures say, flee sexual immorality, flee it. The scriptures say, take your thoughts captive to make them obedient to Christ. Like 
That's the only way to fight it. Bring it out in front of other people who care about you and start to fight because it has a way of becoming a monster later. Like, like deal with lust now because it won't go away if you marry a handsome guy or a beautiful girl. It won't just go away. It just has access to more casualties. Like deal with your envy and lust of comparison now because it won't go away when you add more people into the frame. It just has more people in the crush range. It says deal with the vexation of your heart now. Deal with sin now. Uncontested sin will only grow. And so he warns, and he might be looking back at his life and saying, man, I just thought more was going to do it. I thought more was going to make me happy. So I invested in all these different things. And he's like, uncontested sin will grow. Deal with it now. Now we step into the next chapter, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. The countdown starts. And he says, listen, time is tick, tick, ticking away. And there's going to be a day where the things that brought you so much pleasure are taken away. And even you'll look at them and say, man, I can't do them. And even the idea of doing them doesn't give me pleasure now. They seem unattainable because time is going to steal. And we start to get this allegorical picture of death settling slowly and then death taking quickly. And so look at this, verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. It says this, death is coming and it is like a rainless storm that seems to have no point. It is clouds that darken all the lights of your life. Death will eventually snuff you out. And starting in verses 3, we start to see this poetic picture kind of unfold. And so look at the descriptions here. In verse 3, it says, In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. And and so the, the picture is the keepers of the house are your hands. Like when your hands, the things that clean up after, the things that move furniture around, the things that clean the blinds like once every 10 years because you can't even look at them anymore. The keepers of the house, when your hands start to get weak and they start to tremble, they don't work the same way. And then when it says, And the strong men are bent. Like most commentaries are saying, man, it's talking about legs or or knees. Like the strong things that hold your life up start to bend and lose strength. They bend under the normal weight of life. He says, this is when death is coming and it slowly takes away day by day. It goes on in verse three. (coughs) It says, when the grinders cease because they are few, And when those who look through windows are dimmed, and so it just points at the aging process and it says, listen, when your teeth that you grind food, when they start to fall out and you start to lose them, when they are few, and those who look through windows, when your eyesight starts to get dim, it is a picture that death is stepping in and it's slowly taking all. And then it keeps going, verse four. It says, and the doors on the street are shut. I think this means as you lose your teeth, your mouth becomes pursed and it closes in on top of itself. And we have, we have, a, lot of, we have a lot of luxuries. Like, like we have dentures and we have implants and we have ways to take care of our teeth better. Go to the dentist. Listen, write that down. Go to the dentist. You, you, you'll thank me later for it. Like all of these things, he says, this is how aging takes us over. The door of your, mouth, of your body is the mouth and you start to lose your teeth and the mouth starts to purse in. And then we see teeth again in verse four. It says, when the sound of the grinding is low. I mean, you're just, you're not, you're not going after the, the, you know, carrots that snap. And then it says this, and one rises up at the sound of a bird. As you get older, sleep gets harder. You wake up earlier and earlier at the slightest sound, like the slightest sound of a bird chirping, or you wake up injured. 
you know, you're limping. People, hey, what happened to you? Man, I, I slept. Man, it was rough. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with my hip. It hurts. Verse 4 goes on. It says, and the daughters of song are brought low. You start to lose your hearing. Verse 5. When they are all afraid also of what is high and terrors in the way. This is the reference of falls become serious. Everything in life seems to be going fast. I start to not want to get out in the hustle and bustle of something because what if I get run over? What if I get pushed down? Like life seems to speed up. Falls seem serious. It's saying life is ebbing and death is coming and it wants to take all. And then verse five, verse five makes me so envious, but look at verse five, it says, and the almond tree blossoms. When an almond tree blossoms, it goes white. And so when your hair suddenly starts to turn gray, um, which I just, I wish that was my reality. You know, actually one commentary, it went on to say, you know, but what also happens is the almond tree, when it blossoms, it just lasts for a moment and then the wind blows the blossoms away. And so it might be saying when you go gray or when you lose your hair, but everyone knows I just cut my hair short. I didn't lose it. And the grasshopper drags itself along. Your hair grows gray or you lose it altogether and you lose the spring in your step. Life is ebbing away and death is settling in. Verse five, it says, and, and desire fails. I find it so humorous that, you know, we have this like picture of life going away and desire fails. You know, the, the, the King James version, it actually says, and the caper berry is ineffective, which is a, a known natural or believed to be an aphrodisiac. And so Solomon, the guy who had 700 wives, 300 concubines, he's like, man, I can't walk. I can't see. I can't hear. I don't even have teeth anymore. But like caper berries don't work anymore. Like he puts that at the very, very end. But he says, everything starts to fail. And then verse five goes on. It says, because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. Your funeral is coming. The New Testament is going to say that, that we, we, we die and then we, we face a judgment. Like that day is known to God, the end from the beginning. And man, I think about this often, like when I go to funerals or when I prepare and do funerals. I, I don't do a lot of funerals. Like we do a lot of weddings. We don't do a lot of funerals. But man, that's coming. And I wonder, like, what will my kids say about my life? Like, what will a legacy be? Like, what will they laugh about and cry in the next moment? What are the things that, like, irritate the snot out of them about me right now? And I guarantee they're going to talk about how much I vacuumed. I know they're going to talk about how much I vacuumed. But the things that they, that they talk about, those things, the things that irritated them become joys of remembrance. He says, what will they say about you in the street? And this is if you die slowly, but look at verse six. In case you don't die slowly, he wants to include everyone who dies from an accident. He just says this, before the silver cord is snapped, that's your spinal cord, or the golden bowl is broken, that's your head, or the pitcher that is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, your heart pumps all the blood. It says, before those things, and dust returns to dust as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. He says, listen, death is certain and it might come slowly and take one attribute after another or it might come up on you suddenly like someone in war or in an accident that something might end your life. But he says, it's certain. And then verse eight, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Vapor, vapor. Life is like a vapor. Live today because life is way more mist-like than you know. And then we close the book out. It, it turns into like commentary. Like 
all of a sudden Solomon steps back and I think it's actually really funny what he says, but he says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. Like I, I just, it, it's funny to me, like beside being really smart and good looking, I also taught you all kinds of cool stuff. It says, the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed on the collected sayings that are given by one shepherd. First, it says like true words, like the truth. It's like, it's like a goad and a goad is something a, a shepherd would take. It kind of like a spiked stick to help like move you into the right place, to help move a sheep or a cow into the right place, to move it out of danger's way or to move it to food and water and security. And so it says things that are true that you meditate upon, like there's a reason to meditate upon, like your death is coming because it's gonna move you in the right direction of life of what's really, really important. And so he says, that which is true, think about it. And then the other picture, he says, truth is also like nails. A carpenter uses nails to hold a board in its right place, to keep it fixed. And so sometimes we need truth not to move us, but to hold us to say, this is where we stand. This is what's true. And then he says, the shepherd, one shepherd, that, that phrase, one shepherd, is only used three times in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament Bible. And it's used once here and then twice in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 32 and Ezekiel 37. And both times it is referring directly to the Messiah coming in the line of David. And so we have this really mysterious thing right here that commentaries don't really know what to do with it. And so some translations are like the shepherd or a shepherd, but most translations say one shepherd. One shepherd, Ecclesiastes was written to tell us that more isn't the answer. You think more recognition, more success, more accomplishment, more sex, more stuff, the list could go on and on. You think that will satisfy and make you. And Solomon says, take my word for it. Let my word hold you in place. Let my word direct you to the right places. More will not satisfy but death is certain and there's one shepherd. And so he says, ends with this, my son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end and much study is weariness to the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or or evil. He says, everything that's true, let it hold you where it needs to hold you and let it guide you where it needs to guide you. And he ends with this saying, beyond this, there is no end. Fear God and know that there is a judgment. And like all of this, like listen to these quotes. I just want to end with these quotes from one of my books. And so this is from a couple chapters, kind of all you know, sprinkled in there. And so it says this, the preacher maintains that within all the voices swirling under the sun, the one shepherd, the voice of the Lord remains present and active. It's here today, giving us the words of the wise. These shepherd given wisdom words are, are, are collected sayings like a letter from home, daily reminding us of who we are and what remains true, why the war rages around us. These are like goads and like nails firmly fixed. The collected sayings that are given by the one shepherd and the commandments of God are set before us together as one. God's word, God's words are central to our whole vocation in life as human beings. It goes on, like it says this, God is knowledgeable about your plight. He does not turn a blind eye, though it seems he has left the madness unattained. A day is coming in which God will step out from within the shadows and make himself plainly known. In that day, he alone will preach and every creature and thing and place will listen. He goes on, he says, the misused, mistreated, and victimized are cared for when good judgments are made. The hypocrite is found out. 
The schemer is foiled. The public good is defended. The one who did well by grace so long overlooked is finally honored. The eternal pressing into our hearts, the eternity that Eden was made for, the eternity that life under the sun beats up, stomps upon, ridicules, and dishonors, will finally also behold its vindication. God himself will take his rightful place as we, as Eden intended, we again bow fully satisfied as his creatures. Amid the swirl of voices under the sun, the shepherd's words, the commands of God, shed light on everything in creation and providence. The shepherd knows not just the names of the sheep and the words those sheep need, in contrast to the voice of the shepherd in order for them to find green pastures. But the shepherd also wisely reckons with the landscape and weather for his sheep. He knows about God in contrast to the gods of the nations around him. Then God makes good on his promise. Jesus, the son of David, the king, he comes into the wreckage under the sun. He is the good shepherd who knows his sheep by name, he will lay down his life for them here in this vain world. The one shepherd, the greater than Solomon has come. The memory of Eden recovers. The promise of heaven awaits. The spirit of God, is it directing you to move into a place or is it directing you to stay? Let me pray for us. Father, Lord, we love you, and um, man, even in just thinking about that, like movement or staying, Lord, where are you asking us to occupy and stand, and where are you asking us to move and to act? But Lord, it's a glorious thing that you ask, that you ask, and that you direct, and that you're present, and Lord, that you know all the things that feel so broken and that are broken, and they befall, and where they fall, they lie, but you resurrect. And so, Lord, we, we come to a moment where we move, and Lord, I pray that it'd be very fitting that there's a moment of movement. Uh, for every Christian in the room, the, the way that we take communion is we start on the bread side, and it's torn away and handed to you, and then you dip it either into the wine or the grape juice. The wine is in the stoneware, the grape juice is in the glassware. And remember that what made all of these promises true, that the great shepherd has come, that all of life is held in his hand, is that he died and rose again, paying a debt we couldn't. You know, another appropriate movement would be like if there's something that you feel like, man, I need to confess and I need help, that it would be grabbing someone next to you and praying with them or moving behind the black screens to have someone pray for you there. Or there's another movement that you can have for communion. We have individual communion cups in the back at the information table. Is the Lord asking you to move or is the Lord asking you to sit still? Father, Lord, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.